0: Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, so down with d and Yeah, you know me. Get down with d Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah. So pretty, Are you ready to get down with some d and I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the majestic, mad, and monumental, Mad Wizard Merwin. It's so crazy that I had to say mad twice.
1: It's I I I feel like I'm twice mad. If you're twice tw- mad, if you're twice mad, does that bring you back around to sane?
0: No, that's not two negatives. Do not make a positive in the madness category. I I, I was hoping. Ah oh, well. You were hoping. You hoped incorrectly. Uh, that that's happened more than once. <laughs> So we're going to talk about uh, monster design today, because we said we were going to talk about monster design today, because the Mad Wizards Menagerie is starting, is, is already started by the time you hear this, so go patron it. There's lots of cool levels over there, and we'll, we'll talk about a little bit of that right now. Mm-hmm. So as you're hearing this, the Mad Wizards Menagerie is there. Sean is heading this up. We're going to make cr- new creatures for you to use in your 5th edition game, and we're going to infuse some more story type stuff into this Patreon too like a lot of these entries are going to be written from the voice of the Mad Wizard and his travels through the multiverse or their travels through the multiverse because not a him right?
1: It, it. He started as a him but he turned into a she or a they or an it in some cases so
0: I, I mean I heard glowing sentient blob for a little while
1: Uh, yes yes I, I'm drawing on my own existence for for that Except for I mean, the you have been part. melted. I'm just a sentient blob.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Um, there's just been a lot of... Uh, the, the Mad Wizard has taken a lot of forms, mm-hmm. as far as I can tell. Yes. So uh, that'll, be, that'll be interesting. Yep. And- so th- there'll, there'll be some more story-type stuff in there, along with these cool monsters. Yep,
1: and uh, as we grow in patronage we will also look to not only increase the number of monsters that we give but also maybe create some short adventures if we reach a, a certain stretch goal so you can start using these monsters in, in their own layers and getting uh, adventures that you can insert into your campaign to um torture your players with
0: yeah and this is a super low buy-in mm-hmm. patreon it's what we wanted because we want you to tell your friends about it. We want you to go and spread it far and wide. We want we want lots and lots of volume here. Lots of people to come and patron this thing.
1: Yep, for as little as a dollar, you can um, get get the stat block. So that's that's what we're
0: looking at. Mm-hmm. And for a little bit more, you get stat blocks and other cool things. Like uh, eventually, I'll figure out how to make monster tokens, so you can just print and use your monster tokens on the board mm-hmm. on your on your as many. Yes, that'll be a thing. It's totally a thing.
1: It totally will be. I love the sketches, by the way. They look so oh, good. Oh, man, it's awesome. Matt Morrow is doing the art for this, and um, I can't even begin to describe what I'm seeing. It's just so incredible.
0: Yeah, and if you really want to you know, throw us a few more bucks, like there are ways to interact with Sean in, in different ways, talking to him about adventure design or monster design or whatever, really, you want to talk about. So uh, take a look at those two. Yep. All right, uh, like I said, October 1st, when you hear this will all be up, please go back it. Please go become a patron. We would appreciate your patronage. Mm -hmm. So tell me about NukeCon 2018.
1: So when this episode drops, I will be in the throes of preparing for NukeCon, which will happen October 5th through 7th. That's Friday through Sunday at the Ramada Plaza by Wyndham in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, They've already got lots of great events up. Whether you play Adventures League or are just looking for a role-playing game of some kind, it looks like they've got a ton of great events up. Personally, I will be running some playtests of some adventures that I'm working on, both for the Adventures League and elsewhere. Uh, I will be helping run the epic for the Adventures League that they're running, and I'm even doing an adventure writing workshop on Saturday morning. So if you are in the heartland of the U.S., if you are near Omaha or are within driving distance and you want to get some good gaming in, come chat with me. Um, check out NukeCon. It's at www.nuke.com. Dash
0: con. Com. That sounds amazing. I mean, any kind of writing adventure workshop with Sean is always worth it, believe me. I get them constantly, so, you know.
1: I've I've run one at Winter Fantasy. I've run two at Winter Fantasy, and they've gone over quite well. Uh, the cool thing is I, I have, like, the new Adventures League template that we can talk about. I also have the writing guidelines from Wizards directly that they've given me permission to share with people who are interested in writing. So that's that's great. That's really awesome. Yep.
0: <laughs> okay, so that's NukeCon 2018, and we'll be looking forward to hearing all about that when you're uh, when you're back from NukeCon at some point. I hope to even future. record a little while
1: I'm there, talk to some
0: people. Ooh, You do have a, a Zoom with you. I do. I'm pretty sure. Yep. All right, let's talk about the third thing, the podcasts of Waterdeep. Mm-hmm. So this is really cool to me. I didn't know about this until I read the notes today, which I probably should have. But there are now there are 10 podcasts out there in the world that you can listen to. And, you know, we as a D&D community, um, we we love this live play podcast stuff that's going on. And it looks like um, to celebrate Waterdeep Dragon Heist, uh, a bunch of people have created a series of 10 podcasts with a continuous story that is set in and around the Sea of Splendors. So this is like a bunch of different podcasts, from what I can tell, have played a bunch of different sessions that can create a continuous story. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So Victoria Rogers and Joss um, who are two podcasters in the D&D podcast community, came together. Um, they're, they're from different podcasts, but they came together and thought, you know, we could put together a, a string of these adventures to tell one story. And we can bring in all these different podcasts and all these different podcasters uh, to contribute. So you know, rather than competing, they came, all came together and decided to tell one story. And so, up on the Wizard site, you can also get on iTunes or Google Play. Um, there are ten podcasts that go from about an hour and a half to three hours, depending on the podcast. But it continues along in one one story and. there are all different sorts of podcasters and podcasts up there and in some cases they pulled people from different podcasts and put them together at the same table to play so you know if you're looking for that shorter um, stretch of a story it's right there it's all up on the wizard's website for you to check out
0: very cool that's so cool right like uh i i I'm actually going to go have to, like, download them and listen to them. Like, I have a couple of jobs these days where I can just sit and listen to podcasts. So, you know, I'll just probably do that then. It's good to but,
1: good to be able to uh, multitask.
0: I agree. I mean, those, those couple of jobs are super boring, right? Like, I don't have to think about a lot of stuff so I can just, you know, do other things while I'm working. Cool beans. All right. Anything else or should we talk about our main topic?
1: I think we should get into monster design because that's what the good folks have come here to listen about
0: rawr i'm a monster mm-hmm. there we go <laughs> if nobody knows what that means like that is from the whole uh the gnome becoming a monster instead of a player character class which now a player, player character class again so yep. you know
1: back and forth edition and he had a minion too, uh,
0: a badger i think a dire badger mm-hmm. i can't remember the badger's name though Yeah, uh, who's my little minion who's my know, little right? minion oh it's so cute that was awesome all right so where do you want to start with this, Sean?
1: Well, I just wanted to talk about monster design because, A, it's something that I've been doing a lot of recently uh, with the Creature Codex from Cobalt Press, plus my own work. And then uh, we had this idea for the Mad Wizards Menagerie, so it all co- sort of came together. And so we just wanted to touch base on the, on the basics, if you will, of monster design. And this is kind of an important topic, especially if you're a DM out there, because as a DM, you, have, you don't have the same options that you do as a player. Players come into the game, come at the game in a certain way, and DMs come at the game in a certain way. And the DMs, um, one of their main avenues to come into a game is using monsters. Because they are the little pieces of plastic that you can push around, or, or metal, if you are into painting, um, that you push around on a battle map, right? If you want to play the game as a tactical skirmish game your method of playing is using monsters and the players get to play their characters and that's how you go at it so that's you know one uh, avenue of play that's very important to dms another avenue that's important for dms is that these monsters help you tell a story whether they are the main impetus of the plot, um, or if they're just ways that you want to bring a certain mood to a story, or a tone to a story, or steer the plot in a certain way, one of your best avenues is through these monsters. Um, and finally, not only do you come at your adventures through the lens of monsters, but you can also build your world through the lens of monsters. Um, you may create new monsters that have a certain niche in the world that is super important to the campaign or to the world that you that you're creating. So at the at the crux of all of that of tactical play, at storytelling, at world building is this concept of designing a monster. So that's why it's so important that we sit down and have a whole episode or maybe more than one if we decide to get you know, dig deeper into monster design of having this discussion. Um what do you say yeah, about that chris I, I
0: think I think I'd like to take a, a second to just talk about what you said because you said a whole lot right there, right So as the plastic or the the minis that the dms get to push around that is that is the mechanical aspect of the monsters, right like here's how they function in this game as far as like fighting goes and how in combat and conflict right so that's one avenue. The second avenue is that um as storytelling. Uh, pieces, right? Like so, like a vampire or a mind flare or something like that has a very different function in a story. Is like being more of a mastermind behind the scenes creature than a umber hulk or a enkeg, right? Like mm-hmm. those those tell very different stories. They tell stories, though, right? Right.
1: Yes, they tell stories. uh You know, a story with a vampire is one that's going to be long and drawn out and dramatic. The story with an ankeg is going to be about survival and about farmers in their fields who. You know, have to kill this creature to survive to to work the
0: land. Yeah, and then you can get into some interesting situations with things like ghouls. Which ghouls have a very interesting history. From D and D, they have a a particular space. Mm -hmm. But if you decide to take the lore of the ghoul and the different kinds of ghouls that exist out there, you can do some really interesting things because the ghouls that come from like Lovecraftian horror are not the same as the ghouls that come from D and D. This is very true. This is so like selecting these monsters and finding their place which also will change the setting but uh, they, they will tell different stories depending on how you select them but like the setting thing is also really interesting and very different to me from like the storytelling thing because uh the the campaign setting salt in the wounds that is the tarasque has been defeated but they can't kill it mm-hmm. so it's just there so what they do is they start harvesting it mm-hmm. so like that's cool that's a, that's a very very setting specific thing based on the monster right um, the what is it? The uh, um, the Cobalt Press uh, in Midgard, the the Empire of the Ghouls. Sure, like that's another setting thing, right there. I mean, if you want to go with the classic D and D thing, the Drow, right? Mm-hmm. The Menzo Baranza?
1: Yeah, I mean the the uh, the Cobalt Press analogy there with the Empire of the Ghouls is is awesome because normally, as you said, a D and D ghoul is a mindless creature. Um, you know, you're walking through a field of dead bodies and and some of them rise up and attack you. Okay, okay, ghouls, great. Um, the Empire of the Ghouls is you know, an incredibly rich and unique look at how undead could build their own sort of empire. And it's, it's very fascinating that specifically has always fascinated me. So um, thank you for bringing that up.
0: Mm-hmm. And just to kick to another, like very classical D and D thing, um, like uh, a I won't call it classical, but Droam am and Eberron, mm-hmm. the, the, the country of monsters, right? Right, right? Like there's another good example of how a bunch of like, what people would consider monsters have created their own, their own society.
1: Yep. And you know, dragons are another good example of a monster that can be, can be so many different things, especially if you go back to the early editions Um, in the, in the first edition or the AD and D monster manual, you know, dragons were vicious monsters, but a certain percentage of them could talk and another certain percentage of them could cast spells and another certain percentage of them could shape change. So, you know, they could be used as these powerful but feral enemies. And then they could also be used as your your classical, um, intelligent, magic-using, deep-thinking enemy. Um, and so depending on what your world is, you could have dragons that are only these feral creatures or only these... Um, very intelligent manipulative creatures or both You know, if you decide to mix them and then you know you're building different um, you're built your world building changes based on those that type of dragon that you're going to use
0: yeah and the reason that I wanted to delve into those ideas a little bit more was because every one of those ideas influences the other one mm-hmm. they're 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 all tied together so uh, and and they are uh, you you hit the nail on the head I think with like the, those are the crux of like when we design monsters like this is what we're doing when we design them we are we, the, the stat block and all that stuff is great but we should be thinking about the story and the setting and their purpose when we're when we're making them right. Mm-hmm. So uh, now that that's out of the way and we've, we've gotten, kind of gotten through that uh, where do you want to go next. Well I thought we
1: would talk about different ways that you as a DM could surprise and delight your players with new monsters. Uh huh. So the the first thing that you can do, and this is good if you don't have a lot of time, uh, because creating a brand new monster full full force is a lot of work. Um, so the first thing that you can do is what we call reskinning a monster, um, and there are two types of reskinning. The one is just taking a stat block for a monster and describing it in a different way. So all the numbers are the same, all the traits are the same. Everything is the same. It's just when you describe it, you are describing it differently than it is than it is described in the original text. That's, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I mean that's something that is very easy to do. The only thing you want to be careful of is some things don't translate well. Um, you know, I think if you take a creature, say that has magic resistance, and use that as the base. You want your story that you're creating, or the world that you're putting this monster in, to also have magic resistance. Um, yeah. Because otherwise, so, it, you know, your players cast a spell and it has this magic resistance, and it doesn't make any sense in the world.
0: Yes. So, like when you talk about reskinning, I mean, we're talking about re- reskinning. It's. You're actually taking the trappings surrounding whatever the creature is and putting new trappings on top of it. Mm -hmm. Those trappings don't do anything different, but in in the fiction of play, they need to make sense in some way, shape, or form if you're going to use narration as part of your gameplay. Right.
1: So even if you do this type of reskinning, take the time to really delve into the monster books and see if you can find a very, very, very good match. Um, rather than just grabbing something that looks similar, but when you delve down into the, its abilities and traits may not be um, as good a match as
0: before. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, I got nothing else to say yep. about that, I suppose, okay. right? Yeah. Uh, well, uh,
1: there's another ty- type of reskinning where you actually are making uh, changes to reflect the differences between the original monster and the vision that you have for the monster you're creating. So this uh-huh. is where you're you're taking things and you're changing the attacks a bit. So instead of the creature using a great axe, um, they're using a bite instead. Or a creature, uh, instead of doing acid damage, is doing uh, thunder damage or psychic damage or some other kind of damage. Um, so that kind of reskinning, it's, it's easier to do. Because you can make those changes that change both the mechanics and the story behind the mechanics.
0: Mm-hmm. I actually really like doing that kind of reskinning. Although there's a like a danger to that mm-hmm. when when you um, if you're trying to do something with like CR, or trying to keep things uh, in in the realm of of balance, there are some things that you can do that will completely make the monster way different than it was before, as far as like uh, power level. Sure. Like if you give something that doesn't normally. It, that can't normally fly the ability to fly and you didn't realize that by doing that you can just sort of hover it around and murder the players by shooting at it right. with making it harder to hit yep. then that's uh, that's a mistake right. right right
1: like if you have a, a spell casting monster or NPC and you reskin it to give it a fly um, the fly speed you are very much increasing the power because it can especially if it has range spells because it can just stay outside and throw fireballs at things Yep. So what I like to do when I do the second type of reskinning is I like to go very far afield of what I started with. So if, even if I want to create a humanoid, um, a humanoid that has a higher armor class and is always up in your face doing melee combat, rather than looking at other humanoids, I like to go far afield and look at something that's completely out there because that makes me think harder about the changes. So, um, like if I was going to create a, a huge acid lizard, I wouldn't go to a crocodile first to reskin. I would go to like demons.
0: Um, I, if, I agree with you. you like, know, that sounds like a great idea. So,
1: <laughs> so that gives you, it, it reduces that that temptation to be lazy and to just say close enough and just do it. Um, it makes you think about whether this gargantuan acid lizard would have the same, uh, immunities or, uh, resistances that the demons do. Uh, you know, it, it, it makes you, it forces you back to your story. Um, and it forces you to, to look at things with a little bit of
0: a sharper eye, but that's just me. I am I'm actually with you like so my favorite kind of reskinning is to do the small changes thing but sometimes I'm like I want a thing or I want a I want a character that does a thing but I mean it's going to have a bunch of magical abilities I'm like well I'm going to go to something that has a bunch of magical abilities and just reskin all those magical abilities by renaming them yep right and then be like well this isn't a demon anymore this is a human magical knight that has all these demonic powers yep. right
1: that's a great example
0: yep because they're wearing demon armor and they have like this demonic sword or whatever. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. That's a great example. You wouldn't go to to a knight per se, right. You would go to the thing that is, um, that is structured the same way as the creature you want.
0: Yeah. I mean, I want something that's magical, but human, Mm -hmm. um, and can do a lot of like nasty things demonically. Um, I mean, of course, you'd probably have to cu- pull a couple things off because most demons can summon other demons and I don't want that. So we'll just cross that off. And, right. you know, we don't we don't need that part. And that might make it a little bit weaker, but maybe we can just give it a few more hit points or whatever. Right. Yep.
1: And the other thing I wanted to talk about in terms of reskinning were templates, because templates are something that have been around for a while. I know that they were big in third edition and fourth edition uh, for monster design, and it's something that we haven't seen a lot of. And I know based on my communications with people, including just a little Twitter poll I did the other day uh, about what people want from new books uh, that include monsters, templates was high up on that list. Because they can you can create a ton of new monsters with just one template because there are so many monsters that could form the base of this monster. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's and, something that sh- we should think about.
0: Yeah, and templates are not very hard. In fifth edition D and D, they're actually pretty easy. I mean, whatever you have, really, you just need to be like, well, you can make whatever. Just add th- these like damage resistances or whatever like in that in that area of the, temp- the the template, like where the skills and senses are and things like that, or senses if they all have the same kind of senses, mm-hmm. and then whatever their special abilities are. Yep,
1: and there are, are some. Right under there are that. some traits that a template could give that would barely touch the challenge rating at all, uh, and then there are some that would obviously raise it a lot so um, you would just as as we talk about creating a monster from scratch we'll talk about different traits and what they what they do so you know if you're creating um, if you're creating a trait I'm sorry if you're creating a template that like we talked about gives a fly speed and the breath weapon um, that's a whole different shooting match than creating a uh, a template that gives like blind sight or you know, other less powerful and combat affecting abilities.
0: Yep. Uh, let me just throw this out there real quick because there isn't a template for it, but it seems like there is kind of a template for it. Mm-hmm. They just don't have it specified. Is kobolds, right? Mm-hmm. Kobolds, they're all small, mm-hmm. small humanoids. So that's one thing um, that might change your hit die. They are all they all have dark vision out to 60 feet. They all have pack tactics and they all have sunlight sensitivity. Mm-hmm. I mean, once you do that, you pretty much just say it's a kobold.
1: This is true, this is true, and and the the question then only becomes: Does giving something uh, pack tactics make it, you know, much more powerful than it that it would be without?
0: True depends on the thing, but what? like, you could then take like I'm just I happen to be looking at Volos guide right. Mm-hmm. You can take those couple of things and stick them on a swashbuckler, and then you have a cobalt swashbuckler. True. Um, you just
1: like I said, you just want to do. As we'll talk about, you want to do an eyeball test at the end um, Mm -hmm. to see what Pack Tactics does. I'm just using Pack Tactics because that is a potentially powerful um, thing. And if we'll, we'll talk about this chart later, but in the DMG, Pack Tactics increases the monster's effective attack bonus by one.
0: Um, yeah, and, and those are things to note right. and understand, right? And, and so then
1: we'll talk about what that means when we talk about creating a monster from scratch.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. <coughs> all right. So templates. I love. I love me some templates. They're they're great. They they do a lot of cool stuff. Yep.
1: Um, and one other thing uh, that I should mention about just making small changes to monsters: just remember that not all monsters are created the same, even if they're the same monster. Uh, So, the monster manual gives you the average hit points for a monster. That doesn't mean you have to use those hit points in your game all the time, every time. You could have a, a combat with hill giants where the hill giants have a quarter of the hit points that they would normally have to start with. Then, inside the lair, you could have the hill giants all have 75% more hit points than they normally have. So you're not changing the monster, but you're changing the experience that the players have and surprising them. Because they'll fight these creatures and they'll say, "Wow, they went down with in just one round um with just normal, you know, our normal attacks." So the next time they come up against these monsters, they may think the same thing's going to happen. And you can then surprise them when these hill giants have more hit points, fight harder, hit harder. Because if you use average hit points, you can also up that as long mm-hmm. as you keep it within reason. So they also hit harder. So you're using the exact same monster, but you're you're um, challenging your players a little bit more by changing the um, changing the combat implications of Raising those numbers up or down.
0: Yeah, that's pretty great. Like I got nothing. You're doing such a good job, Sean. That I just I'm sitting okay. here. I'm
1: I'm uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do a poor job from now on, Chris. So.
0: All right. I mean, I've had things to say about stuff, but there's nothing else to say about that, right? Okay.
1: No, that's that's absolutely fine. And uh, so what I th- what I'd love to do now is just get into creating a monster from scratch and how the the Dungeon Master's Guide tells you to do it. And our own thoughts on what they're saying, in which, in case, in that case, I think a couple of these steps are actually wrong. So I just want to point those
0: out. Interesting. Okay. Uh, do you want to just do you want to do the pyro right, which is the first monster from the Mad Wizard's Menagerie?
1: I would have to find it, but I could definitely do that.
0: Okay, because I, I pulled it up on my computer.
1: I will look for it on mine, if the Mad Wizard allows me to access it. Uh, the Mad Wizard's a fickle fickle person. He is. Okay, so why why don't you get us started then while I do that little search on my computer?
0: Alright, cool. So the first thing is that you the DMG says is that you have to have a concept in mind for what you want. Mm-hmm. And um Sean's pyrorite or the Mad Wizard's pyroite from the menagerie, uh the concept is actually pretty pretty uh pretty plain. It's um it's a white that is on fire, which is unexpected because whites are undead right so and there's a cool little tagline that goes along with it like those who died in elemental fires are some of the angriest angriest to cool them off you have to cool them down so that is a it's a neat idea right like these are fiery spirits that are angered they were uh they were killed probably by some sort of magical fire and that's how they rise back up they um they could be anything uh, any kind of humanoid creature it 's just that they are fiery whites, mm-hmm. so like that is the concept for the pyro rays is that is that where you got that from yeah i just I
1: thought of elemental creatures they are you know spirits from the elemental plane of fire uh, that sometimes leak through so if someone f- summons up a big fire like with a fireball spell or other magical fire that comes from that plane, these spirits would probably come out and if a creature is killed by the fire, then these spirits would maybe inhabit
0: the bodies. That makes sense, perfect sense, actually, yeah, so that's
1: where the idea for the pyro White came from
0: so the second thing for the from the d m g is uh, name mm-hmm. so uh, you have a thing with with coming with the names first that, that that's harder for you right yeah,
1: for me it's, it's names are the hardest, whether it's a character or a a monster um because sometimes a name can be just as evocative as a concept um. So what I like to do is come up with a possible name, but then get to the rest of it first, because by the time I come back uh, to it, I'll probably want to change the name
0: as well as maybe change the concept. So
1: that's where my thought is on that.
0: So when designing for publication, you mentioned that it's better to go with... Generalized rather than, um, or generalized or generic rather than specific or unique, because that gives room for that monster to be put in a bunch of different situations. Sure.
1: So you know, if if I'm coming up with an NPC, I want to make a griffin riding guard. So if I'm going to create this this guy as a monster stat, I don't want to create you know Harold the griffin guard, because what I'm doing is I'm focusing in too much on a singular thing, when there are going to be maybe a whole army of Griffin riders that are going to be different from each other. So what I want to do then is create a Griffin Mount guard rather than herald the Griffin Mount guard, because then I can expand and I can create a Griffin Mount wizard or a Griffin Mount Lancer or a Griffin Mount, whatever else you want to do. And then I can create, you know, CR two through CR five monsters
0: rather than just one CR three monster. It sounds like you're talking about creating templates. A little bit. A little bit. I, I mean I agree with you. Like I, I think that's a, a good way to go too. Um this is probably why I'm a terrible monster designer, because I'm making Harold the Griffin guard and I'm like, yeah, let's tell Harold's story, mm-hmm. even though I'm supposed to be designing a stat block. No, right? no, because... and it's
1: it's just I, I I completely get that. Um I completely get that because that is it's another step in the process. It's just further along in the process of the adventure than you maybe want to get too soon. Um, so, so think generic first, uh, and then when you create Harold, you'll have this, this to work from, but you can make him different than all the other Griffin guards.
0: Yeah. Also, if we're going to go back to the ideas from that, we mentioned earlier, like with the stat block, the story and the setting, mm-hmm. like creating the Griffin mounted guard, uh, and, and noting that there is going to be a unit or some sort of, fun, uh, group of people that are griffin mounted somethings mm-hmm. then that tell that informs your setting and it'll inform your story too like there's a griffin mounted unit right right like uh, griffin mounted riders are a thing that exists in this world and, and matters so that eventually you'll have to figure out what that means to your setting and your story exactly you know are
1: who do they answer to how powerful are they are they elite you know in this army or are they just your average foot, foot soldiers etc so yeah that, that's what I mean about staying generic before getting too specific
0: mm-hmm. it, uh, it, it's interesting that you say generic too because it's generic you're right it's not like we're not talking about a specific person mm-hmm. but it um it even with that like it creates it creates setting and story mm-hmm. so uh being generic does not mean my point is that being generic does not mean that you are excluding setting or story from from your design no
1: definitely not in fact you like as you said you're probably expanding it. Um, because mm-hmm. then you have to think about the full implications of having creatures of this type.
0: Yeah, and it, it actually unloads a little bit of the cognitive work for yourself in a lot of ways, too. Because if you go Harold the Gryphon Guard, you're trying to answer questions about Harold and the Gryphon mm-hmm. Guard mm-hmm. at the same time right. and these Gryphon Riders. So, I mean, you can always figure that stuff out later.
1: You got it.
0: All right. Alignment. Uh we'll oh, go back to size in a second. Okay. Alignment. Cuz alignment makes me laugh. <laughs> I was I mean, doesn't matter anymore.
1: Yeah, so you know, we're going through the DMG and looking at how they suggest to build a monster. So, alignment was one of the things and and my my every time I see alignment in D&D now, my thought is, are we still using that? No. Is that still a No thing? we're not. Not really. Uh yeah, you know, so the only thing that I want to say about alignment is always remember that there is an unaligned. Um Unaligned alignment category, which is they don't, the creature doesn't think on that level. Uh, they don't care about good or evil or law or chaos. They just are. And don't be. I mean, don't be afraid to use that.
0: Yeah, I mean, those are good things to have, I suppose. Right for for the game for D and D, since we're talking about monster design in D and D, like. Evil and good and lawful and chaos. Those things are all things that matter, right?
1: Well it's 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 this it's it works in the same way that being generic works. Because if you're creating a whole type of creature, say a whole species, then you that will tell you what the species itself and their communities are as opposed to the individual. So in, in that sense it's good. Um, because it, it does make you think about the the story and about the setting as opposed to just the individual creature
0: mm-hmm. well let 's talk about size because that actually uh, matters for a uh, hit die mm-hmm.
1: so you know size does matter uh mechanically because the hit die type that you use will be based on the size but it 's more important to get the concept down. Um, and ma- match that concept. Is this creature tiny? Is it small? Is it medium? Is it large? Is it huge? Et cetera. Um, so just, it doesn't make a huge mechanical difference because you can always fudge the hit die type or you can fudge the hit dice to get the correct set of hit points in the end. Um, but think about it in terms of, of concept and in, in terms of the world because if if you have a large colony of creatures and they're all medium-sized... They're going to need a very large layer. You know, if you have ant, you know, types of ants, make make them tiny or make them small as opposed to make them large. Because if you make them large, think about the, the size of their anthill, if you will.
0: Yeah, it'd be huge, right? Right.
1: And if you want it huge, that's fine. But you always have to think
0: about that in terms of, of the world. I mean, then then you're just feeding into the bee horror movie side of storytelling. Yeah, yep. Giant insects everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, ability scores and modifiers, like you're like do these last because you can use that to adjust things. Right. I think that's a really good tip. Yeah,
1: yeah. So this is fifth on their list to, to create monsters, and really the last thing you want to do is write down the the, the stats at the beginning. Um, I agree. You, you can get an idea that okay, yo, know, this creature is going to be. Um, very powerful so its attacks are going to be based on strength so probably going to have a little bit higher strength Um, you can think about those things but don't write in numbers yet because you're just going to be
0: copying them over yeah it's funny because 13th on the list and I'm going to jump because I feel like jumping 13th on the list is special stuff traits actions and reactions Mm -hmm. like the traits part of that Mm -hmm. is probably one of the most important things that you can figure out to design for your monster yes
1: yep this is this is what um, what makes a monster unique. Um, and there are there is a list of these traits and abilities and reactions and so on in the DMG, and it tells you exactly, uh, well, the name of it, what monster has it, and how it affects the challenge rating when you're building the monster. So that list is going to be invaluable to you if you want to use... Uh, pre-existing traits or if you want to create your own traits that are based on these existing traits
0: yeah it is um pages 280 and 281
1: Mm -hmm.
0: just everybody knows i love i love that list it's a really good list and that that is a almost always where i go first because my concept is usually like three sentences Mm -hmm. like my monster does the my monster is this and this is kind of where it fits you know, three sentences done now go design it. And some of the most important things of course are to me, the stuff we just talked about for those reasons it is the place where it's always the most unique after that um, to uh, jump back up uh, defensive factors usually has a lot to do with that too. And maybe some other things, Yep. but uh, let's talk about defensive factors real quick. That's number nine on the list, but I'm jumping okay. around the list. Well, now. you know
1: what, before we do that, I want to just say one thing there. Sure. there, there when you build a monster, there's a chart in the DMG, this chart mimics a spreadsheet uh, that, that Wizards has for themselves that they give to very few people. And that spreadsheet that they use, they just type in these things and it calculates CR so they can tweak very finely um, how the CR comes out if they bump up hit points by two just two or three or bump up a save DC by just one or two. Um, Hold on one second. Yeah. They
0: have a special system that we don't have access to.
1: Well, this chart that I'm talking about in the DMG, which is on those same pages that you describe, uh-huh. um, is kind of an abstraction of that. So uh, it's not as finely tuned as their spreadsheet, as their I'm very CR sad. calculator. Uh, I want but, the CR calculator. But it's but it's there. So you know, as we talk about all these things, when you're building a monster, you, first thing you Well, not the first thing, but the next thing we would have talked about is uh, challenge rating, CR. So you know you need to make a CR 3 monster because you're playing with a party that's like 3rd or 4th level. So you pick the CR that you want for your monster. This chart tells you the range of the different abilities and attributes and uh, like armor class, hit points, attack bonus, and so on, damage per round that you want. And then as you pull out these other special defenses or special abilities, that's going to tweak uh, up or down your defensive or your offensive scores, which uh, then change the CR. So if you want a CR 3 monster, your armor class is going to be around 13. Now, if you want to make a monster that's super armored, so it has a 17 uh, armor class, and you still want the monster to be CR 3, then you have to give up... Power in these other categories, like hit points or your attack bonus bonus or the damage you do per round. So all of these things have a score or a rating that move the dial to the right or to the left in terms of the other uh, aspects of the monster.
0: Yeah, I often am guessing myself, and the thing that seems to shift the most when you start playing with those things, to me, would be hit points. Mm-hmm. That because is the hit points are always too high
1: yep th- that is the thing where you know if you want to raise the armor class way up, then you want to take the hit points way down. Um, you could also take the damage way down, but to me that defeats the purpose of many monsters. You could have a monster that's that's all about like charm spells, so they don't need to do the damage they can charm someone and have them do the damage for them. Um, Yeah, that monster's a very different monster, though, in a game, right? Exactly. But even that charm, then, would get a score because, say, you're using a charm person spell. Uh, That's a first-level spell. So if you're going to be charming a lot of people and having them do your dirty work for you, that first-level spell gets its own damage rating, and that's figured into this formula of making a certain CR monster.
0: Well, that makes sense, right?
1: Right, because like a first level offensive spell would be magic missile, right? So, yes. a magic missile is doing approximately ten, twelve points at first level um, per round.
0: Yeah, so, and it's unavoidable,
1: right? So, 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 so they're going to give a charm person spell, assuming that spell lets you charm someone into helping you fight, um, would would equate would equate to right about that damage per round
0: yeah that makes sense because oh. yeah right because there's not there's not even and even probably a little bit higher because the thing about magic missile is that it never misses mm-hmm. yep right there's it's only got very few things that can counter it so um, it's it's not like using a chromatic orb though right because chromatic orb requires a I don't even know if chromatic orb is a first level spell it might be a second level spell requires more than an expenditure of resources and to a uh, saving throw uh, yeah a, is it It's a thing no, attack roll. No,
1: you're right; it's an attack roll still.
0: But still, there's the chance of missing, which is a different thing, right? Yep.
1: Yep. yep. So you know, so all of these things go into effect here, um, and the more strange defensive abilities, like resistances or immunities, or uh, offensive things like auras that do a certain amount of damage per round to uh, so anyone yeah. within certain feet of certain uh, distance from you, that will increase or decrease your your damage per round um, score which then sh- would change your CR so it's this balancing act of if you put too much in one you're going to have to subtract some in the other
0: mm-hmm. so that is um th- there's a lot of stuff to think about that we just talked about right like yeah that we're, th- we're talking about how CR is basically affected by everything
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, which is important right like if you're if you're trying to design for certain spaces right for CR then you need to understand yeah. all this stuff
1: Right. And so that's why monster design is it's it's a process and it's it's as much a process as writing anything else is. You know, you're going to do an iteration. You're going to look at it. You're going to tweak some things. You're going to change your um, concept to meet certain mechanics or you might change your mechanics if you can to reach a certain uh, concept. You know, if you're working on a published product like we sometimes do, the art is going to change the way you have to do things. Um, If you end up getting a final piece of art and they have certain weapons on the monsters and you didn't expect those weapons, then you have to go in and you have to give them these attacks, which are going to then change things. So, you know, it's a it's a tricky process, um, even at its simplest and then at its at, at its most complicated it's you know it's it's taking hours if not days, including playtesting, to to get this right.
0: I know, right? It's kind of crazy that way.
1: But that's why I mean, it's gate... great to have lots and lots of books with lots and lots of monsters.
0: Yeah, that helps with that. But even then, still, it's art, right? Like it's 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 there's a design you can get close, but then without what you said, like you never you never really know. Yep. Uh, which you know, well, I'm sure we'll run into a bunch of that stuff, right?
1: we will be making some monsters that's for sure
0: mm-hmm. um so question i have a question uh i was gonna say something about uh, monster design like is there we, we talked about a whole bunch of stuff already is there anything else that you wanted to talk about concerning monster design
1: uh no just if you do design a monster in the you know go through the steps and in the end do a reality check look at your cr Go to all the monsters in the monster manual or Mordenkainen's or Volos that have the same CR and just make sure you're in the right ballpark. You know, find a monster with the same armor class and about the same hit points and make sure that the damage per round that your monster can do matches what their monster can do.
0: You
1: know, in in the end, that's that's the best gauge aside from actual playtesting.
0: It is that you're absolutely right, and and it is the tricky part. Like, there's a lot of moving parts in the design of a monster, so it just it's hard to be cognizant of all of it. Uh, but like Sean said, just find the pieces or uh, find the monsters that kind of are close in the same area, kind of doing the same things, but not quite, and see if it matches up in the in the same CRs. Because there's a big difference between like. What a um, like I mentioned before. There's a big difference between what like a vampire can do and what an umber Hulk can do. Mm-hmm. Like they're not the same kind of monster. So, trying to find ones in the similar spaces is really effective. Yep.
1: And if you are going to Gamehole Con at the beginning of November, I think I am doing a monster design uh, panel seminar, maybe with Wolfgang Bauer even uh, about some of this some of this stuff. So, um, if you're going to be there, I'd love to to chat with you then.
0: That I I highly recommend it. Sean is super knowledgeable, and if Wolfgang Bauer is there too, that would be even better to to see both of those folks in action. Uh, I guess the last thing is that Mike Murrell's, one of his Happy Fun Hours. They built a monster from scratch. Yeah, that's true. Um, if you check out Mike's Happy Fun Hour, they
1: talk about different D anD D topics each each time. And on one of them, I don't have the link right in front of me, but they design a like a burning skeleton or something from scratch. And, oh, that's you know, pretty cool. Talk about its design and some of the topics that we talked about here. So check well, that out if you get a chance.
0: We, we were sort of talking about the pyre, right? Pyro uh, White as a concept, but we, mm. we kind of got away from that. So sorry, everybody.
1: <laughs> it's okay. Um, the Pyro White, I, I always choose the tongue-twisting names, um, will be one of the samples from the Mad Wizards Menagerie. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we will get that up so everyone can check it out.
0: So can I ask you a couple questions since we have a few minutes left about the pyro white? Yes. So you have um, so its actions. I want to talk about the actual stat block, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a fiery slam that makes sense because it's it's a monster that's on fire. That, that there's nothing weird there. Uh, regeneration. Mm-hmm. Why did you give it regeneration? Um, because
1: it's it's a it's an ability that I think I like puzzly monsters. Monsters where if you just go in and start attacking it um, without thinking about it, you may be in trouble, and so the regeneration here uh, is is one of those abilities that um, makes you think again after you attack when you realize that you're not going to be able to take this thing down without doing some some uh some careful coordination with the rest of the party which which i like i like to see players communicating with each other during the fight rather than just doing their own thing Mm -hmm. but it's also an ability that doesn't always work for the pyro white there are only certain times when it kicks in so uh, i think that's important because then it's a monster you can use again and again and again, and each time the players fight it, they learn a little bit more about it and so it it becomes it becomes a monster that starts out a little harder than normal, um, but as you learn how it works and what happens as you do different attacks on it, um, it becomes easier
0: mm-hmm also the whole uh it's got a reaction the burst into flames mm-hmm. which is really good which is part of what you're talking about that's why i'm now bringing it up because yep. when you fight it multiple times you start doing and trying other things to it like there are certain abilities and damage types that you don't want to use on the pyro the pyro white because it will explode and harm you mm-hmm. so that's pretty clever i, I so I, I i like that puzzle piece monster type thing too uh since I'm running a lot of Monster of the Week right now, mm-hmm. like I totally get this idea. And it's a little harder to do with D&D. But uh, there's some other stuff on this one that's really cool, too. And it makes perfect sense. So right. one of the ones I wanted to point out is that they're immune to being turned. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's right. It's, it's a dead body, but it's being possessed by an elemental fire spirit. Right. So they're not really undead. It's just that the body is not alive. Right. I mean, they're undead
1: in the sense that they are were dead and now they're alive, but mm-hmm. the the force behind them is is an elemental spirit rather than sort of a ghostly spirit.
0: So that's which, uh, why they have is, that. Which term. is interesting yeah. because it's still considered an undead creature, right? Yes. Yep. And it makes sense to me. I think it's cool. Like it could have yeah. gone the other way, though. Right? It could have sure. been a like a a medium, a medium elemental, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but you know, possessing a dead body. Yeah. So it, it's it's
1: clever to me it could and uh it it also it, it's a monster that i wanted to be able to have dm's use on lower level parties you know 5th or 6th level as a single terrible monster that they're facing whereas at higher levels a dm could use a group of them and still challenge you know a party of 10th 11th 12th level characters
0: yeah, you're right. This is like a, a mid second tier, early mid second tier uh, monster that can then scale up to uh, early third tier mm-hmm. pretty effectively, right. especially because it's, you know, you can't really hurt it with fire. Right. Yep. So that's, you know, that's
1: kind of my design philosophy behind that particular monster.
0: Oh, um, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I'm glad we got to sit and talk about that for a little while. And then, of course, everything else was just Sean tweaking until he got it the way that he thought it should be. Yep. Um, well, th- there you go. That's an episode on monster design. And we even talked about a monster that you designed. So I think we've accomplished what we wanted to accomplish here.
1: Mission accomplished.
0: Mm. Well, with that, I will say thank you, everyone, so much for listening. And I'm going to do a few Patreon shouts We're back at the top of the list. We're going to do the uh, the Royal Court. Um, Eileen Barnes, the Duchess of Pandas Talking Games. Scott Robinson, the Duke of Dice. Andy Olson, the Duke of Dimensional Paradox. Brian Kurtz, the Royal Doctor of Physic. Christopher Gray, the Spymaster of MMP. Craig Just Craig, the Lord of One Name. Donnie Harville, the Lord of the Slack Room. Eric Bontz, the Duke of Gators and the Lord of Beefness. GM Gerrymander, the Lord of the After Show. Jared Rashford, the Scribe of MMP. Jesse Edmond, the Royal Doctor. John C. LeMay, the Guard at the End of the World. Uh, John Carney, the Court Necromancer, and Merrick Blackman, the Royal D&D Reviewer. We will do the rest of the Royal Court next week. All right. Well, with that, um, if you'd like to be a patron, just like all these lovely patrons of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out.
1: Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes, and you have access to our Slack Room for Life, where I would love to talk to you about Monster Design, the Mad Wizard, or anything
0: else you want to talk about. Mm, just at Sean in there, and he will come a-running. You he summon me, yep. Um, if you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review.
1: Those help, even if you're not listening on Apple Podcasts, because they are used by many other podcatchers to rate and rank shows, and that would make us more visible with one of your patented five-star reviews. Thank you so much already. Pre Pre-thanking you for mm. your reviews. Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. on the down with D and plus community. And now you can also talk to me or actually talk to the mad wizard at menagerie wizard
0: on Twitter. Nice menagerie wizard mm-hmm. menagerie is hard to spell by the way, everybody. I've been learning that I've, I've, I've I think got I've got, it, got down. it down now. Yeah. Why do we pick these crazy words to use? Why What's not? What's wrong with us? I know. I, I agree. It's, it's fairly memorable. Um, you can hit me up at Misdirected Mark, that's the network Twitter. You can also hit me up at the Light One O One on Twitter, or you just go to the website where you can catch other great shows such as CypherSpeak. The CypherSpeak podcast is an engaging discussion that covers the evocative and inclusive settings of the Cypher system. Darcy and Troy are entertaining co-hosts who offer GM advice and ideas for use in your games.
1: Down with D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of encoded designs.
0: All right, buddy old pal, what are uh, you and the Mad Wizard going to do now?
1: We're going to go kill some custom-made whites. Get down with
0: D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Down with d Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with DND.